Hey everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got part two in our series on coffee equipment and my own personal ongoing search to find the right equipment for me. And we believe that hearing about some of my own priorities and things I care about and don't actually care about at all may actually help you get clear on the equipment that will allow you prepare one of the greatest drugs in the world. Did I say drugs? I meant to say drink. Anyway, tomato, tomato. Our guest today is Sam Higby, who is an owner of First Ascent Coffee, which roasts right here in Crested Butte. And Sam really was arguably the first person to really open up this entire world of coffee for me. Furthermore, before this crafted podcast was a thing, we actually had a conversation on Gear 30. It was episode number 158, and we called it a very deep dive on coffee. And that conversation was really a predecessor to this whole crafted podcast. And so you can check that out. That is Gear 30, episode number 158, to hear my first conversation with Sam. So we'll include a link to that conversation in the show notes of this episode. So give this one a listen and let us know what you think and whether these conversations are steering you toward either some new equipment or are actually getting you to think that your current setup is probably the right call for you, for the moment at least, and tell us why. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, which is a collection of some of our favorite craft companies out there across a number of different categories. We will include a link to the Blister Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode, and I would encourage you to check out the Blister Craft Collective, take a look at some of the companies, and then give them a try. One, because these are awesome companies and they support the independent work that we do here at Blister. And two, I think that when you check them out, there's a good chance that these become some of your favorite companies, just like they're some of our favorite companies. And now let's dive back down the coffee rabbit hole with First Ascent's Sam Higby. Here we go. All right. Well, I'm happy to be back in Blister headquarters with Sam. Now, you and I, you're kind of a pioneer when it comes to, you know, coffee talk on Blister. You and I recorded a Gear 30 conversation a while back. We will, of course, include a link to that in the show notes of this episode. But um, I honestly don't remember if I first talked to Cody about coffee or if I first talked to you, but those were kind of the two first coffee talk episodes in the history of blister i think the cody episode was before me okay and then you just came in and we just we went hard on roasting we did a deep dive into kind of origin and yeah coffee more into just coffee where does it come from processing yeah. roasting a little bit brewing a little bit um 
Yeah. And I think even back then that was, this is probably part one yeah. of many conversations. <laughs> yeah. Well, so why don't you tell people a little bit about your own coffee background and how it is that you got into this whole crazy world? Yeah. It's interesting. This was started because of your conversation with your friend, Andrew. Um, and he and I are similar in that I didn't really drink coffee. Honestly, I didn't drink coffee till I was 26 with any regularity. Holy cow. Um, I was like him. It was if I needed a drug for an all night drive to go skiing or something like that. Um, I do remember in college when we got a coffee shop on campus and I had a cappuccino and I say that with air quotes and I thought it was terrible. It was so burnt mm. and the milk was really burnt mm. and foamy. Drug of choice used to be Red Bull or Dr. Pepper if I was wow. <laughs> driving across the country all night. So, but then I was working at a ski shop in Breckenridge, 2006, winter 2006, 2007. It was, we sold backcountry ski gear, um, but backcountry wasn't nearly what it is now. Yeah. Part of that was the gear. I mean, I was yeah. thinking about it. It was like old Naxo bindings yeah. uh, oh. that broke all the time to uh, G3 Targatelli bindings, you know, and the old Garmon Adrenaline boot. Dina fits were just starting to be a thing and none of us trusted them, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, uh, cold, drafty, old cabin. And I started drinking chai from the local coffee shop and then dirty chai and then vanilla lattes. And then that summer of 2007, I went to work for Outward Bound out of Leadville. And, uh, I had a little lightweight plastic French press and I made my coffee every morning in my mega mid before my students woke up black, thick, dark sludge. Um, but it was my, it was my little quiet, happy place every morning before I started interacting with our students and our participants. So that was when I got fully hooked. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I moved to Salt Lake and there's a great little roastery there. They roast by the pound on these air roasters and you walk in, there's a whole wall of roasters. Hmm. They're glass. You can see the coffee roasting in them. And that was the first place where I had coffee from different countries that I could tell it tasted different because it was from Mexico or from Ethiopia or something like that. So was at black diamond and then moved to Colorado. And once I moved to Colorado, I made a Facebook post asking friends where I should buy my coffee beans. And people suggested this roastery called Boxcar. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's on Pearl Street in Boulder. And at the time, it uh, shared a space uh, with a charcuterie. So you could uh-huh. get good cheese, good meat, wine, chocolate. And then Boxcar was roasting in that same space. And you could get a, a drink there. And it blew my mind in that it was the first coffee shop experience I had where it didn't matter who made my drink. I got the exact same delicious drink every time. Mm. And prior to that, every coffee shop I'd been in, you order a latte and the milk texture is going to be different. How much foam you get, the temperature of the milk, completely dependent on the barista. Mm -hmm. So boxcar, I was like, oh, there's something going on here consistency wise. Mm -hmm. And then they also had this funky brewing system that used um, ceramic blanket beaker heaters like you would see in a in a science lab and they were brewing by the cup in these glass beakers um and that was because of the lower boiling temperature at altitude trying to create a consistent brewed cup of coffee every single time Hmm. and ultimately i decided that i wanted to be a part of that 
And so I sent them this letter saying that I had never worked in coffee, uh, but I had worked at a brewery, I had worked customer service, I had worked retail. So I understood working with people, but that because I'd never worked in coffee, that meant I didn't have any bad habits that they had to unlearn from me or I had to unlearn from pitch. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, got an interview and uh, got hired. And I started off washing dishes and then moved to brewing individual cups of coffee on the special brewer that they had. And then through that process, tasted a lot of espresso. Like here's a bad espresso. Here's an espresso. What do you think's wrong with it? This yeah. one's too salty. This one's too bitter. Um, here's how we adjust for that. And once you could dial in espresso to their standards, you started to learn how to steam milk to their standard as well. Um, and by the time I left boxcar, I was running the cut, the espresso machine on Saturday mornings when the line is out the door and yeah. around the corner. Um, we should, we should pause for just a second. Boxcar is a full on institution. By the way, you are the first person who put me on to boxcar. And so I've been there several times. And then interestingly, boxcar is now providing coffee here in elevation. And so I've met Vajra, Vajra, the founder slash owner, mm -hmm. correct. Um, cool guy. Um, he was actually supposed to sit down with me in blister headquarters a bit earlier this year. He had some stuff going on and had to cancel that trip back. But, um, I feel very indebted to you because when I went into boxcar, like this is a place very much doing things on point for sure. And let's just tell our listeners that if you get the chance to go also the baked goods. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't indulged in that oh. part. And they're still rolling the you can go buy wine in the back. Yep. You know, yep. And yep. Uh, the, the other business it recently sold and the name changed, but it's still the same idea. You can get a sandwich, you can get cheese, you can get wine. Um and spirits. I too. guess I, all this to say, if you are the person they are entrusting on a very busy Saturday morning in Boulder, they're not throwing just some lackey out there. No, no, no. no. Yeah. So, and then, uh, you know, you asked Andrew, and I think we talked about it on the Gear 30 deep dive, but my aha, my true aha moment with coffee was a Central American geisha that Vajra had just roasted mm. and brought out for us to taste and they were cupping it. Um, so kind of like Andrew was talking about mm -hmm. and hands me this little bowl. It's kind of a saucer. Um, so you can really smell it. It's wide. And I remember smelling the coffee and thinking this was going to be the best cup of coffee I'd ever had. And it was blueberry honeysuckle coffee. I don't really know how else to describe it. It was, an amazing experience. And from that moment, I've been seeking a similar experience, whether it's going to a new coffee shop, going to a place like Onyx to boxcar and, and looking at the menu and seeing a pour over on the, a $20 pour over and like, where's that coffee from? What's the varietal? How is it processed? How are they serving it? Yes. I want to try that too. I think this ties back into your conversation with Andrew how can I, as a dirt bag climber, skier, <laughs> small business owner now try to replicate that experience on the daily without the budget of a big, bigger roaster? Um, 
And so that's why I got excited after listening to you talk with Andrew of like all of those brewing methods, all that equipment has pros and cons. Um, and let's talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. And for better or for worse, we're going to keep this a little bit focused on me, right? Yes. This is, and there is a very good analogy. I came in from skiing. You were sitting just outside blister headquarters. You'd just gotten here. I was telling you about the gear I was on today. You started talking, we started talking ski boots and I'm like, this is exactly the same conversation as with coffee gear. It doesn't actually matter. Like what's the best touring boot out there? It's like, what are you trying to do? What do you like? What are your priorities? What don't you care about? Where do you do this thing? And, and so I think, I hope it doesn't simply seem, you know, narcissistic or something, but we are going to kind of, I'm going to, I mean, one, I am legitimately trying to figure this out for myself and I'm, you know, I'm developing some thoughts on the topic, but I think it will hopefully be helpful for other people. We say this all the time about skis and ski boots, but everybody really needs to figure out what their own priorities are because then that will quickly rule out some of the gear we're going to be talking about and put other things on the table. And those, you know, your choices might be things I ruled out for other reasons. And I was like, it, it just was, it was really great. Cause I see you, we immediately talk ski boots for 15 minutes. And I'm like, this is exactly the same thing as talking through coffee gear. So ski boots, bikes, running shoes, <laughs> all of it. Yeah. I, I say, let's start with the Breville. Breville, Breville. We say Breville. Breville. Yeah. Okay. This is the hot topic. It's still sitting in a box unopened in my entryway. I have to like step over it every I'm, time I, I leave I saw the house. picture. I'm yeah. with Andrew. I say send it back. Okay. Um, and, and I think also we should quantify it to folks that I occasionally drop a bag of beans off outside of your door like a coffee fairy and <laughs> you then <do. laughs> you text me a few days later after you've tried it a few times and you tell me how you liked it and how you liked it brute because you have yep. your Jura, you have a Mocha Master. Mocha master. Yep. Um, and so, I do have some insight into yep. what you like yep. and also I've seen your coffee tastes evolve. Yeah. Somewhat. You're a hundred percent responsible for that. When you introduced me to First Ascent Ethiopian, and I was like, this is, this, we, we talked about this on the Gear 30. I was like, this is almost tea. Mm -hmm. the, and that combination of the Mocha Master, which I kept keep saying, the, the, and then I tried that Ethiopian in the, the Yura, and it, it isn't good. It doesn't work in my view. And so, that kind of unlocked this whole world of like, whoa, we are going pretty fruity, light, light fruity. That was you. Um, so, you know, part of the, part of the personal journey here. Thank you so much or screw you. <laughs> this is kind of your fault. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, first off would just be, and Andrew hit on this as well. Also talking about the Mocha Master, how he bought an automatic pour over prior to the Mocha Master and it failed and he bought a Mocha Master. Yeah. Um, the amount of coffee that you drink. Yeah. I don't know how long the Breville will last you. Yeah. And then it can't be repaired. I'm not into that. And so, I think that's just step one. Yeah. By the way, one of the things I absolutely do love about that Mocha Master, and I've talked about this, I, full disclosure, I am not using it like at all right now. 
because I just realized I like the single cup at a time. And this is this is my stuff, right? Andrew likes it in the morning, uses a mocha master because he and his wife are like doing it, you know, knocking that. They're taking down a pot real quick. And that makes perfect sense. That's not what I'm doing. And so rather than make coffee and then still be drinking from the same pot, you know, two or three hours later is not really where I want to, it's not really what I want to be doing at the moment. But the repairability of those Mocha Masters, I feel like that deserves, they get a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, it is a more expensive piece of equipment, but at the end of the day, not being able to repair it for 50 or a hundred bucks, yeah. you know, I mean, we have a 11 year old espresso machine out in the factory yeah. and in the last couple of years, we've had to replace a few parts on it and that's been less than $200 huh. and it just keeps cranking. So, and then I think that, you know, we talk about the Slayer. Yeah. There's also this machine called the Keys Vander Weston. Um, it's an espresso brand. That's what Boxcar uses to the uh, pour over methods, um, whether it's the 895 one, yep. you know, t- I use a $40 pour over. It's metal. That's why I originally bought it was because I could take it, I can travel with it and it doesn't break. Huh. Uh, Kalita is the brand of huh. that. It's Japanese. It also has some ribs on the pour over itself as well as the filters. It uses its own filter and that is, um, it's kind of like a cupcake um, paper mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it has those r- vertical ribs. Yeah. And the idea is to create a more even extraction out of that. And so I think that as coffee has evolved, you know, he talked about new espresso. Mm-hmm. We talk, we call it third, third wave, wave. Yeah. coffee um, to try to highlight. Originally, it was just bring out the notes that are unique to a country. So Ethiopia versus Kenya versus Guatemala versus Costa Rica, every one of those places, there are people out there in the world who can blind taste a coffee and tell you what country it's from, what region, what varietal, how it was roasted, potentially even the aspect that it faces uh, and where where it gets sun, kind of like in wine. It's amazing what these people can do. So that was the original intent behind kind of this move toward third wave. And then kind of like in the hoppy beer world, all of a sudden people realized that there were way more variables than just where was it grown. And so the roasting has evolved to try to highlight those notes that are inerrant in that coffee bean. Concurrently with that, people have realized that the brewing plays a huge role in Mm -hmm. that. So you and I could take the same roasted coffee, even take the same Hario pour over and go home and get a different cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And so all of these pieces of equipment are trying to first things first, bring out as much of that flavor that's coming out of that coffee. And then also what are your personal preferences? How much time do you have to fuck around in the morning? Do you want to scale? Do you want dot, dot, dot? You know, I think the Mocha master continually for those people listening who want more than one cup of coffee to start the morning. So if you have a partner, if you're the sort of person who drinks a cup of coffee and then fills a to-go cup of coffee to go to work and your partner does the same thing, Mocha Master all day long. I mean, it's tried and true and in the grand scheme of things per cup of coffee is very cheap. 
Yeah, actually. Yeah. So I think they still retail around $350. And I don't know if other people agree with this. My conclusion on the Mocha Master is that it plays best with lighter roasts. That's what I think its strength is. Um, I actually would be curious if other people use Mocha Masters regularly and are especially on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're like, nah, we love ours with a dark. I'm drinking it. I'm not adding anything. I don't tend to add anything. I actually never add anything to my coffee. So, um, whiskey. Nope. Definitely don't. (laughs) Definitely don't. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that's the $350 version. If you are need to make a pot, you're sharing it with a partner, you're filling up, you just set it perfectly. It also has going back to the conversation you guys were having. The aesthetic is really yep. cool yeah. and you can get it in a lot of unique colorways. Yeah. So if you're someone who's like, I don't want a Mr. Coffee sitting on my counter, it's not a Mr. Coffee. No. It has cool graphic or the the brewing with the the pipe in the middle. Like yeah. the, you can see the water bubbling. Yeah. I guess that's what I was trying to say. There's something going on there yeah. and then the colors that you can get that thing in. It's it's, it's a cool conversation starter. Yeah. So let's um at least for a minute, stay on pour over. First of all, some people have very strong opinions about the material, right? Mm -hmm. Plastic pour overs or funnels, um, plastic versus ceramic. You're talking about metal now. Have you yourself found taste differences among the three materials i don't know if there are others but i you know plastic ceramic and metal i think are the most clear glass um is that just chemics or there's a actually the kalita that i use they make this beautiful it looks like a piece of crystal um it's got the same ribs in it i think that the bigger challenge between the materials that would affect your ultimately would affect your extraction or your brew is the heat retention properties of those various um, materials. I feel like brewing in plastic tastes different, whether it's, you know, back in the old days when I had a plastic French press when I was a backpacking guide to a a plastic pour over. But I actually haven't quantified that of like, let's brew a stainless steel French press and a plastic French press and then taste it blind and see if I can tell the difference. You know, I think a bigger thing in your pour over, like just this week, somebody said, wait, you rinse your paper filter in your pour over. You know, I do that every time I do that in a Mr. Coffee if I'm somewhere. So I think, but again, going back to, you know, what is the end use person going for? And I'm not going to bash the person that likes dark roast coffee. If you wake up every morning and are like, I can buy the $8.99 pound of beans and I enjoy that experience every morning and it's dark roasted. Like we don't spend your money buying ski boots or blister memberships or, <laughs> or tip your server. Well, like to Andrew's point, you know, I can't drink coffee that's from the grocery store anymore. Yeah. I just, I would rather if I need caffeine, there are other ways to get yeah. it. Yeah. Staying on pour overs ironically given that i said in my conversation with andrew that i'm just not interested in them and ever since i made that statement to andrew i've been like i think this is kind of what i do when i make a kind of a strong statement like that i start thinking through like really well why and but here's here's my two points 
one, I do feel like the repeatability is got to just simply be trickier with a pour over than the, you know, fancier espresso machines where you're timing every shot and can, it, I, maybe this is just being lazy. It's like, yeah, you could just start a, start a timer as you're pouring, but then are you pouring faster, slower, whatever? I kind of like the repeatability of something like a Profitech or, you know, some of these other machines. So what do you think about pour overs from a repeatability point of view? So ultimately, that's why I decided on a pour over at home. But that being said, I do have a scale that has a timer on it. Uh-huh. And I, ha- I make my pour over the same amount of coffee, the same amount of water, and I'm pouring the, a set amount of water at the same intervals. So I pour 50 grams of water in right away, let that sit for 30 seconds. I bump it up to 150 to 250 to 300 to 325, depending on the, the ratio and the coffee that I'm brewing. And I found that versus an AeroPress versus a Mocha Pot, Mocha Letty, Bialetti, whatever you want to call it, versus a French press from the affordable options that are also portable. I think that's an interesting yeah. thing. And yeah. this is like in my early days, I moved around a lot. Yeah. I was couch surfing. I was living in the back of my truck and I couldn't get a Mocha Master or an espresso machine. Yeah. Um, that wasn't an option. And so I found the pour over to be the most consistent. I could make a great cup of coffee every morning with a pour. This is a great point because I, I don't care about portability whatsoever. And so that's just yet enough. Like it's literally never even dawned on me to think about that. It's a great plus one uh, for people on all of our respective priorities. You know, um, so you just heard the man say it. Um, you, and it's, it's a cheap system to get started. So it's inexpensive. It's highly portable. And for a lot of people out there, those are going to be two things extremely high uh, on their priority list. So, yeah, I think, you know, with a pour over, the kettle does make a difference and that little gooseneck precision pour. But I found a gooseneck kettle with a thermometer in it so I can see the temperature of the water for $20 on Amazon. Um, So I have a kettle. You know, the scale I bought is, yes, you can spend hundreds of dollars for Bluetooth capable scales. I bought a $50 scale over 10 years ago. I replaced the batteries like every two years. Yeah. It takes two double A's. You know, that's the size. It's two iPhones probably. So I have a kettle. I have a, the pour over the scale. You know, that said, and we don't have to dive down it on this one, but the craft specialty instant coffee world has made it so that I don't even take, I don't even travel with my pour over anymore. Um, it's, I drink good instant coffee. And if I'm somewhere, you know, I, and then I use that as an opportunity to seek out good coffee shops. Yep. But, um, there is darn good instant from coming out from a lot of different companies now. Hmm. So Hmm. we'll go back to you as my advisor. I think, any of these methods that aren't going to be an automatic espresso machine, you're probably looking at a five to 10 minute cup of coffee. You know, whether that's a nice espresso machine or whether that's a pour over. I mean, my pour over takes me, it's about a four minute brew after the water boils. 
um, which isn't very long, but at the same time, I make two to three of those every morning and I'm thinking about getting a Mocha Master for that reason. And, and can I can I interject here? This is one of the things that because speed matters still quite a bit to my lifestyle. And I actually had uh, a friend, um, Bobak, who just lit into me uh, via text being like, you're absurd. You have no time for anything. What are you even doing talking about like getting some espresso machine? But but this is also, so we talked about the repeatability of pour overs. The time part of pour overs is something that a lot of people that I've talked to have said that with an espresso machine, actually to be very specific, this is maybe been primarily Breville owners have talked about it takes them about three minutes. But I think Scott Andrus also was saying on his more manual espresso machine that he is in the three to four minute range. Three to four minutes, I feel like I can do for an outstanding cup. Any longer than that, and I'm just going to hit the button on the Eura and, you know, and just accept that I cannot freaking get that Eura machine to make good espresso at all, not once. So, but I do think it does you know, what they we call not in the US longs, or I guess more of an Americano that I think they can do well if you get beans that play nicely with the Eura. And honestly, I can I can be pretty happy with it. But it's not all types of beans. And that actually I want to also add as one of the things that is a bit of a priority for me. Like I'm in kind of an interesting position. Like I am now getting hit up by coffee roasters who are interested in what we're doing with this and some very kind and nice people and all that, I definitely want to have a good setup at home where the beans aren't simply at the mercy of whatever machine I happen to have, like where the beans have to play to the strengths of my coffee makers. I want I want coffee equipment that can go show off the particular characteristics and qualities of the beans, if that makes sense. And that's, you know, that's not going to matter to somebody who's like, I found my favorite roaster and my favorite coffee bean in the world. And I just do that. I'm going to do that till I die. Right. That's not really my situation. I, I, as Andrew said, I want to explore and I'm kind of in that position more and more. So it kind of, whatever I end up with kind of needs to be able to go you know, you tweak it a bit to go really bring out the best in the particular bean or roast. I think that Andrew's system is probably where you'll end up. Um, and that would be, I think backing up to the Eura, um, it's pretty interesting. I get very regular emails from customers who drink our Hero Day blend, yep. which you drink yep. a lot. Yep. And, and one of the things you said about it is you think the Eura does best with that coffee. We work really hard to source coffee from around the world as it goes in and out of season to create a blend that tastes and performs the same no matter what. So that's what the coffee lab up here is serving on espresso. T-Bar and Rumors in town are serving that on espresso. For that reason, it's medium roast. It's got notes of chocolate. It goes well with milk. It goes well as an, uh, as an Americano. But to Andrew's point, you're not picking up on the app, the green apple. You're yeah. not picking up on no. the the grapefruit that's coming from Kenya. You're not picking up on the strawberry from Ethiopia, whatever it might be. So finding 
a system that will let you pick up on those fine bring in those single origin coffees from around the world from roasters around the country who are all doing great things with coffee and how can you brew that in a way that you don't have to spend an hour dialing in your equipment to taste how good that coffee is mm-hmm. is that what i'm picking up on that yeah you would like yeah and i mean so i think it's kind of funny, man. I have not thought of this till right now, but this is a little bit about how we talk about ski testing at Blister. We just go get on stuff. Like, you know, skis come in, we mount them up. I don't even really ask our people about them anymore. I often don't know what anything weighs. I just go get on it and start skiing. And you start, I did it today. And, uh, you know, start doing laps, start figuring out what this ski is and then you start getting used to that and then once i feel like i've kind of figured it out if i feel like something still feels a bit off that's when i might start making adjustments to uh the mount position or the tune um etc etc and i guess that's kind of what i'm envisioning with beans that you know i unless a roaster or somebody is coming in with very specific prep uh, suggestions, I'll probably have a bit of my normal system, you know, run the beans that way, see what I think, and then maybe start seeing like, well, what if we did a longer extraction period or something like that? You know, can you dial it in to get it at least to where, you know, I, I think it's tasting best. I think one other note here is that and we can play with this out in our factory that we could take, we just got in this wonderful honey processed Ethiopian coffee um, that is milk chocolatey. It has some good fruit notes going on in it, but it's not overly bright on pour over. The way in which espresso machines with pressure and higher temperature extract, you get a different flavor profile. And just it, generally. Just, just generally. It, yep. Take, so if I made you the same coffee over pour over and the same coffee over espresso, they're going to taste different. And I think that's why, you know, if you go to the Brewers Cup Championship, that's, which is like an international competition for brewing coffee versus the Barista Championships, which is going to be for pulling espresso. Mm-hmm. The beans chosen and the roast profiles are going to be different for coffee being used on espresso versus coffee being used on a pour over. Personally, my favorite coffees are light, bright, fruity coffees, but I don't always love a shot pulled with a light, bright, fruity coffee. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. And so this is going to be a challenge for you. I think we could get you set up with an espresso setup. You know, Andrew talked about the grinders that you basically would weigh out your dose of beans, dump it in the grinder, and it's going to grind that right there back into the portafilter for you. Probably use a distribution tool. He mentioned that on the podcast. You guys generally dive into that. But think of like a hair comb. And the idea is to break up the beans and get an even surface where you could weigh the beans, pull the shot, and yeah, two to three minutes, you could have yourself a, a shot and an Americano, probably the longest um, part of that process would be waiting for the water to boil to make your Americano if you weren't going to drink it just as a shot. Mm-hmm. And personally, I start my morning with a pour over or two and then I have an afternoon espresso and my espresso is a different coffee than my light, bright, fruity pour over. Mm-hmm. 
And so that I think becomes a challenge and also something our listeners should think about is I don't think that an espresso machine setup is the best option for experimenting with and highlighting light, bright, fruity coffee. Gotcha. Gotcha. And okay. so maybe there's... Well, then, then we go one of two ways. I either keep my Mocha Master around. We just had a conversation. We were thinking about bringing that into Blister headquarters. So I either... Sorry, Luke Kappa. I either just hang on to that for the light bright or go pick up a Hario. And then I got to figure that world out probably sometime this summer since uh, winters. <laughs> winters, uh, I'm not sure is the time to start doing that. I mean, but. That would be a cost effective way where you could for, you know, whether you get an $8 Hario or a $40 Kalita yeah. and a kettle, mm-hmm. you in the morning, you could have that light, bright, fruity and then get you a setup that lets you make the same, a repeatable espresso. Um, and that would let you still play with, you know, I still generally will pull shots with the light, bright, fruity espresso or light, bright, fruity roasts so that I can see what it does taste like on espresso. Um, and you pull out different things and sometimes it pulls out something that makes you think that this would be good in a blend or particularly in a latte or in a cappuccino. Mm -hmm. And we can put those tasting notes on our website. Um, you know, Onyx coffee lab, a lot of these good specialty third wave roasters. If you read far enough down in the description of the coffee, it will tell you how they recommend you brew it. Mm -hmm. Um, filter is typically what it will say. And that's a pour over type, um, device, uh, or they'll tell you espresso or it'll say, and if it says in there somewhere like, goes great with milk. It's probably a bit of a darker roast, potentially a blend. There are some new automatic pour overs coming onto the market because of this desire of people wanting to have Mm. that experience that do one cup. Mm. Um, And so that's potentially, you know, not necessarily a Mocha Master. I would need to go back through my search history to look at some of these, but you could potentially get something. It's outrageous it's still 250 to 300 dollars for a single cup automatic pour over you know whereas you could get a hario for in a bag of filters with shipping for less than 15 dollars. yeah all right this is where i'm at currently it sounds like we're gonna need at least two systems here because andrew, andrew has two systems i hope someday in my life that i have a seven thousand dollar espresso machine on my counter and a mocha master and unfortunately, if I have those two things, I also would have to have two grinders. <laughs> <laughs> ah, grinders. Two grinders because we're talking different, different burrs, basically. Different tolerances, really, of how tight an espresso grind is very fine. Um, and it, I think it's, I mean, you could get one grinder, but it would be a $15,000 grinder um, that which we have, you know, in the factory and I grind espresso and French press on it, but fellow, uh, they make beautiful kettles and mm-hmm. now pour overs. And, um, they just came out with a grinder that looks so cool. Um, but they specifically tell you it's not for espresso. It just does pour over French press, cold brew, those sort of things. And so I think it's the amount of engineering it takes to, I think for, Almost all home users, I would push people towards that grinder like Andrew was talking about where you weigh out your beans ahead of time, dump it through, 
so that you don't have ground coffee sitting in a chute somewhere all day that comes out the next day. Um, I'm a little bit of a nerd at the warehouse. Let's say I'm going to brew a new light, bright, fruity coffee on the pour over at work. I will throw a few beans into the hopper to clean out the burrs of whatever might be in there. Mm -hmm. And then I put in my weighed coffee, Hmm. drop it through so that I don't get any, mm-hmm. I don't want to say contaminants because it's not a contaminant. Yeah. It's just, I only want to taste the Columbia yeah. or I only want to taste the Ethiopia. So grinders, I mean, it's the biggest thing you can do for your coffee at home um, is get a burr grinder. And I would, I even tell people if you're like me, you know, with a partner, I drink a bag of coffee a week. Some people are probably going to flame on us, but I would tell people you're better off having your coffee shop, your roastery that roasted the coffee yesterday to grind it on their good grinder, mm. their good burr grinder. Mm. Take that home, store it in an airtight container and use it up in a week. You're still going to get better coffee than if you ground it yourself in the morning with a $20 blade mm-hmm. grinder. Do you, I'm putting you on the spot right now. Do you think there is a clear price point? for grinders under which you would say, I highly doubt you're getting a very good grind over a certain price point. You'd feel pretty comfortable because there's, I mean, obviously there's a million different grinders out there, but what would you give us as a ballpark for where, where you, so where you would feel confident if you're paying that much, I suspect you're probably doing pretty well. Andrew mentioned it. It's the Barazza Vario grinder. The price on that keeps bumping up uh, pre kind of supply chain. It was still just over a hundred dollars, but it might be up to 150. Um, it does a fantastic job. And for your average home coffee drinker, you know, you're going to get five to 10 years out of that thing. I'm just looking this up. What I just found was the Barazza Vario W plus that's saying 600 bucks. Now I'm seeing it for 530, but maybe, yeah, I'm seeing like 530, 530 to 600. I wonder what that, what the W plus the is. W plus. Yeah. I'm going to look up here. I think the challenge with that grinder, going back to the original conversation about the Mocha Master, once the burrs are dull or something fails on it, you're buying another one. Dope. Um, that machine or the grinder we talked about from fellows, I know you can buy new burrs for it mm-hmm. and replace them yourself. So as parts of it wear out, you can replace them. The hand grinders, um, again, not an option for you because you're going to spend, I mean, I used to spend five, you know, about the time it took the kettle to boil, I was grinding coffee. <laughs> But as soon as you have somebody come over or you need a second cup, you're like, no, I'm not. Just to this. be clear, we need four cups, four <laughs> to five. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, with all that time, I'll just take more showers. Yeah. So I think like that's my life priorities. That's I where did we- notice somebody commented on this article, uh, instant coffees where it's at. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I answered that comment and I said, I like you i mean that's i always i bring first ascent usually it's ethiopian or hero day with me on the road um just in case i do like 
get in a bind, but I, I do increasingly, like I'm trying to find good coffee shops when I'm traveling and like use that as an opportunity to, you know, find cool new places. And, um, so sounds like we're on a similar program. What are you seeing? So the Baratza Encore coffee grinder, I misspoke. Okay. Uh, 170 at Seattle coffee gear, which has always done a great job for me. So 170, okay. 170. Well, you, yeah. Okay. Scott Andrus is currently trying to get me to, <clears throat> he, I think he's living vicariously through me with this. Let's just say what he has in mind for me on the coffee grinder front. We're at a, we're at another price point. I mean, that one Andrew suggested was a thousand dollars. And is Scott trying to take you above that? Mm, in that, he he's uh he's quite enamored currently with the DF83. Okay. And that puts you in about that range. Now, here's the thing. Everybody keeps saying the most important thing is the grinder. So, again, I've been real clear in terms of my life priorities. Coffee is on the podium of like top 3. And so it's like, all right, well, we don't and and this is where, you know, if you haven't tried a bunch of different grinders, one doesn't know. So if a $170 grinder performed just as well as a $1,000, well, then I'll get the 170 you know? And I think that's for a lot of us um, who haven't had the opportunity to run that experiment, right? Same coffee, control all the other variables, just run it through different grinders. Um, probably I'm not the only one out there who's like, we don't really know what the difference is. I think you do know the difference. And that is if you go to an Onyx or to a Royal or to come out to our place at first ascent and you have a pour over and you're like, damn, what's <laughs> going on there? You know, we started with a 15,000 grinder, a German made grinder that costs more than my car does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but is that, can you get an ex and I think this goes back to whether we're talking about bikes or skis or burgers. That was what I was thought about listening to you and Andrew of like, there are a lot of people out there in the world who are quite happy eating McDonald's hamburgers. Mm. And frankly, they don't want to be exposed to a Kobe beef burger and suddenly realize what a McDonald's burger tastes like and be ruined for the rest of their lives. And I think the coffee world can very much be that way. And so I try to if folks are enjoying their experience every morning, you know, keep doing what you're doing. But if you've been somewhere, whether it's a coffee shop or your friend's house and you've had a cup of coffee that made you wonder and made you curious, hopefully the goal of this ongoing conversation, starting with Cody and who knows where it's going, will help folks in the same way that Blister talking to Mount Manzer about ski boots lets people pick up on little things that they think, oh, that, 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 that's what I liked about coffee and how do I replicate that and pull that in? Um, and for some people that is a, um, a medium roast shot of espresso. Yeah. And for some people that's a light, bright, fruity pour over. Well, and a big thing for me, and it does very much tie into the review work we do and we're just trying to help people sort of dial in all this stuff. You know, I know that you have brought by some kind of more experimental 
roasts and you're like, check this out. And sometimes I've been like, man, I'm not clicking with this one. And just increasingly, I don't like the idea that I just don't have the equipment to draw the best out that like, that's unfair. That's an unfair review process. Right. And, you know, um, as I have been, you know, playing with more different coffees and the rest, I, it's just not doing justice to the roaster, to the beans. If you're like, oh yeah, no, that's terrible. It's like, well, wait a minute. Is it bad? Or do you not have the equipment or the know-how to dial in the brew? It, right? And and so I think that really is kind of a, a big part. And it is now. Um, you know, I was given a lovely gift um, from some really nice beans from a couple different roasters. And uh, I had beans, um, shout out to Genesis, um, a roaster in Anchorage, Alaska. And these people freaking care. You know, they're like sweating the details. And I got four different bags. Um, I was given very nicely uh, four different bags. One was my clear favorite. And then I think a big part of that, though, is just I've been running it through the Eura and I'm not switching up the prep. And it's like, okay, it's just not, it's not doing them justice. And I think that's one of the really fun things about the world of craft. There are people trying really hard, really hard on this stuff to dial it in. And if I've just got equipment that doesn't play nicely with that, and I'm coming back and being like, that wasn't very good. It's like, nah, that's not remotely fair, right? And it's disappointing because it's like, if they're putting it out in the world, presumably they think this is quite great. And sometimes if it is coming in a bit bitter or something at the end, I'm just now like, okay, I feel like this is the preparation, not the beans, not the roast. As we sit here surrounded by skis <laughs> of all shapes, all sizes, colors, yeah. whatever. I mean, I think of it the same way. Like if you took that hoji pintail fat ski out right now down international, yeah. and you're you like, would this have thing a sucks. terrible time. Yeah. It's not designed for an icy yep. groomer. Yeah. And on the same token, if you took an 88 waisted little GS ski out on a three foot day yeah. or like last Saturday, you would not be having the best time with it. Yeah. And so I think to your point, coffee does need potentially to be, you need to be aware of how it's being prepared. And that said, I think with that, I think you're onto something that we could help you get dialed in with probably the same grind setting and dose of coffee and water and a Hario type pour over system that we could print you out of X number of grams of coffee, X number of water at this time, weigh it out. And you could every day take four minutes and make a pour over and, and taste that and taste that coffee that you're getting sent from all these amazing people. And then we could do the same set, you know, on a grinder that I just looked up that Hari or the fellow grinder. It's on sale right now for $250. Hmm. So that's not too bad. No. And that grinder does pour over really well. So we could, for less than $300, we could have you a kick-ass pour over set up. And then you can splurge on this coffee system like Scott or Andrew would have with that $1,000 grinder, you know, and whether 
So wait, you're now talking about I'm now on the two grinder system. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I think if you're okay. going to do this justice, okay. you're going to have a pour over grinder and then you're going to have an espresso grinder. Okay. And, and if you God. really want to dive down this rabbit hole, you know, uh, a machine like a Slayer um, or a Keys van der Westen, or there's a new, the Linnea from Lamar Zoko, which can come with some beautiful aesthetics added to that. You know, I think up here at altitude pre-infusion is a must. If you're going to spend that kind of money on a car, on can we talk about machine? this again for a minute? Altitude. We talked about this a bit on our gear 30 podcast, but this is relevant for a lot of people living in mountain towns, but yeah. So pre-infusion, um, all coffee, when you grind it, it, it starts off gassing and the fresher or closer it is to roast, the more dramatic that will be. So there's CO2 and other gases trapped inside that coffee bean. And when you grind it and then pour water on it, it will come out in what we call a bloom. And mo a lot of folks have seen this in a pour over or their French press. And so in the coffee world, we found that after 24 hours off a roast, that first week or so is when you get the most vibrancy out of the coffee from roast. And so I say coffee goes stale. It doesn't go bad necessarily. It just loses that vibrancy over time as it off gases. But that off gassing right after roast is most dramatic. And so in an espresso machine, a traditional espresso machine, you put fresh roasted coffee that's just been ground into the porta filter, put it in the espresso machine, and it's suddenly hit with pressurized, very hot water. And you have the off gassing happening, which is pressure coming up out of the porta filter, while you have pressurized water coming down out of the espresso machine, which creates kind of a churning effect. Um, and you would get either uh, channeling through the bed yeah. surface so that that churning would break up the bed surface and all the coffee would come out through one part of it yeah. or, and, or you get the very, very foamy, no liquid really comes out of the shot and you haven't really extracted because you just, rather than water percolating through, you've just kind of had steam and stirring and you're not really sure what's happening. So you would get a very inconsistent shot and your drink would be tasting different. So a pre-infusion is modern espresso machines and they do this various ways will ramp up the pressure so rather than immediately hitting that puck of ground coffee with nine bars of pressure they will trickle water um, or gradually pour water over the beans to let the off gas happen and then hit it with that pressurized extraction and now your high-end espresso machines almost all offer some form of pre-infusion yeah. uh, the keys van der westen that i talked about it actually uses a spring that you can adjust the tension of. So over as the spring tension, it gets more pressurized. Um, some of them do it electronically where it's just a trickle followed by the nine bars of pressure, everything in between. But your Slayer has that adjustability, keys. The I don't know that the brand new Linnea Micra has it, but there's a mini mm -hmm. that's like $7,000. That definitely has pre-infusion. Um, <laughs> But you can get pre-infusion on machines that are, I mean, probably actually around 1500, certainly at the 25 to 3200. In espresso machines, I don't think I've seen any in that 1500 range. I think we might be 
Definitely. Like if, if we're not talking about a dual boiler, if we're talking about a single boiler that maybe isn't worried about its own boiler for steaming, then I think you can maybe get you kind of a, a, a strip down. I think it would be, it would need to be one that has a PID and, yep. and that sort of more programmable, yep. um, a bare bones on off isn't going to give you that. Okay. Um, but you know, if you, if you think back to those old lever operated espresso machines yeah. that you see in the forties and fifties, yeah. it's really interesting. There's papers being written now of more of an academic study into the history of espresso and what is it that that because of that lever action, they could actually pre-infuse. Huh. They could initially open it up and let some coffee in hmm. or some water in on top of the coffee. And then as hmm. they pull that lever down, they're pressurizing it. Um, and I know one guy who lives up in Netherland <laughs> who is a total, he's totally into light roast fruity Ethiopias and he has an old lever machine and he keeps fixing it for that reason. Huh. He's like, I've got my pre-infusion dialed in. Yeah. Plus it looks really cool yeah. if we're talking about aesthetics. Yeah. So... <laughs> I like that. Wait, somehow, Andrew, we ended, you know, part one on Coffee Gear with Andrew's like, I see a, you spending $3,500 to $5,000 in this setup. You're now talking about $7,000 La Marzocco machines and, I, and two grinders. And so, <laughs> my head's spinning just a little bit at the moment. Um, the, one of the things I was, I was looking around this week late at night rather than, you know, sleeping. The funny thing about the La Marzocos is they look like they actually have a lot less, they look a lot less manual than a traditional espresso machine does. A lot fewer knobs to turn or levers to pull. And I was like, is that they're going for a little bit more of an little push more toward an automated experience i mean i guess for the sake of repeatability but i was just a little surprised like why are these commanding such high price points when it seems like you're not getting the same level of control and typically somebody who's wanting to spend that much seems like part of the reason maybe you're spending that much is to be able to have a lot of a lot of control to to dial things into your own liking bluetooth there's an app and you can go in and you can control on that Lamarzoco. Ah. You can control pre-infusion time and volume. So how long it takes to put X number of grams into that, to your shot, to the PID of how hot you want it to be inside, those sort of things. So okay. I think it's more that it's still very adjustable. Yeah. But then once you find your settings, it's set and programmed versus a quarter turn of the knob gotcha. for five seconds and then a half turn of the knob, that sort of thing. So the Senesso machines here in the Valley, like we have tributary coffee yeah. does a great job. They have a Senesso machine and that machine is fully programmable. And again, that's coming back to the repeatability yeah. to try to take out that college barista who may not have the same care and attention mm -hmm. that the owner can go in and set a profile for the coffee and you can even with those machines to your point or earlier let's say you have a light roast coffee that potentially has a different pre-infusion and extraction profile than a medium roast coffee so in my case if your partner likes medium roast and i like dark roast mm -hmm. or a lighter roast 
there are multiple profiles and you can put the port of filter in and hit profile one, profile two, profile three, depending on the bean you put in there. Kind of like a modern car has different drivers programmed into the seat. You can program different shots to be pulled from the same machine. All the Breville fans out there right now are like, so can ours. So can ours. Yeah. So I think that's to the, to the, uh, I, I have not received any death threats from the Breville people, which I'm really thankful for. Um, so thank you. Maybe though, they're all directing them at Andrew. I didn't say anything bad about Breville personally. That was all Andrew. Um, but I think at least with maybe, I don't know if the Barista Express does that, but the, certainly at the like Barista Pro Express, you could start getting into some programmability. I have like you, multiple friends with Breville who every single morning they make themselves and their partner multiple drinks on it. And that being said, none of them prefer a light roast. Gotcha. They've all, a lot of them have tried it because that's what I do and that's what I love and that's what I push on them. And they're like, yeah, you know, it isn't my thing. And so I think, that could very much play into it. And again, yeah. those I told you earlier, like this brand new light roasted Ethiopia we have on espresso, it's pretty tart and it's pretty in your face as an espresso shot. Um, and, and if I'm pulling an espresso, I mean, I play around and do custom blends all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, I like the strawberry of this, but it's a little too tart and mm-hmm. I mix it with the Hero Day or whatever it might be. But somebody at home with a Breville isn't going to be doing that. Um, so... All right. I think for your average consumer, if they know they like an Americano with cream or an espresso shot with an amount of steamed something, oat milk, milk, for most people, that Breville is going to be just fine. And, you know, again, at the same time, what are they? 600 bucks? More. Yeah. Like kind of, I think the, the lowest end Breville, that, which is, I believe, the Breville Barista Express, it's called. That's... I mean, like on sale, maybe around six fifty, but I think they're at like seven fifty, and then you kind of start going up from there. But if you buy good beans, yeah, and if you, especially if you have multiple people in your house, you've paid for that machine in three months of yeah. not going to a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, and so I think if we're look, if we're talking to the person who's like. Okay, so you, I know I need to buy better beans. I want to support a roaster. I like a latte or an Americano with cream every morning. How do I afford buying beans that cost 16 to $25 a pound? That Breville is going to give you a great experience. And if it breaks in three years, you know, that's not, that's a pretty good investment. Okay, but I'm sending mine back. Right, because you drink only black coffee yeah. and you're starting to try to find and explore these roasts and varietals coming from all over the world, coming to roasters who are trying to highlight those notes for you. Yeah. All right. We should wrap this up. Did we get anywhere? <laughs> um, I, I mean, where, where I'm at is I had not been thinking about two different grinders, but it actually makes some sense. And so I think where I'm, you know, I'm going to, I, I, I can't imagine getting rid of the Yura, even though I've said, I don't think that thing can make good espresso. Now, I mean, I've, I've adjusted the grind a bit and done some things on that. And I, but 
but for an Americano effectively or a long, it's pretty freaking great. And it's so fast and I'm really grateful for it. So, you know, for back when this was a, this started as a war between Cody Townsend team Mocha Master and then the entire state of Alaska, basically team Yura, right? That's how we got into this mix. That Yura, I, I still think is going to hold a place for me in my, <laughs> so I, I call it my alternative lifestyle, <laughs> like the, the weirdness of blister. So super quick, good cup. It can do that well, certain, certain rows, certain beans. You saying, well, espresso machines maybe just aren't great in general for really light roasts, if that's not your thing. So that kind of makes sense. So I think we're now at either keep the Mocha Master, but I think we're probably moving to a world, as you say, go with an actual pour over. Might as well dive into that world a bit and then have whatever we end up with the setup for the, the espresso machine. My goodness. Or to your point, as Blister grows, you move the Mocha Master in to To HQ and then you all can test, which is what y'all do for a living. You can start testing these lighter roasts that people are sending you and you can have, you can make a pot of coffee and multiple people can drink it and it's not going to waste. And we get you set up in your house with an espresso machine that's going to pull a consistent good shot there maybe that's the euro for now and then no you can't pull a shot we're getting a new because i want good espresso in my life like wake up make that and that is not sorry you're you can't do that so no we're we're we need to get some new equipment kind of stat but after the blister summit (laughs) so yeah yeah so and now you introduce the notion of yeah the dual the dual grinder um yeah some people are definitely listening to this just shaking their heads others are nodding along vigorously of course you'll need a grinder in here yeah and i don't i don't know i see this just dovetailing perfectly into what blister does of like you have a boot you have a ski you have a bike you have a running shoe you don't just send that out on one person and take that one person's opinion of that piece of equipment and so let's get that coffee in here from whether it's the roaster in alaska first ascent whoever it might be and you brew a pot of it and you all enjoy it and then you come back with your notes on it and you're going to probably have folks within blister who prefer different roast levels and who will come to prefer different origins you know central americans africans whatever it might be but y'all can at least have a consensus in a group of like here's what we liked about it here's what we didn't like or what was not my my style whatever it might be i think that sounds really cool and i living here you know i <laughs> want to be a part of that you you know, knock te- the door. text me and be like hey we just got a new coffee in from wherever it might be come up and take you know let's go taste coffee and go ski yeah oh okay <laughs> twist my arm speaking of tasting coffee apparently you and i are going to do this tomorrow at first ascent, we're gonna go do a little cupping. So yeah, this is going to be my first sort of true cupping experience, other than running little mini experiments in my house um, between the Mocha Master and the Yura. So um, we're gonna meet up and and uh, yeah, 
Man, we were really just going down the rabbit hole on this one, but yeah, we'll get you caffeinated <laughs> and take some pictures and we'll probably meet up to talk again. Yeah. We should get Cody out for a cupping sometime when he's in town and okay. then we can all sit around and nerd out over caffeinated <laughs> talk about coffee. <laughs> all right. Um, we'll, we'll probably let, I probably let Cody come, come to one. So, all right. That's the plan. So, um, well, thank you for this conversation. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, look forward to, yeah, trying out some some coffees tomorrow. And uh, yeah, what a what a fun, fun, weird world, all of this. So, um, but mostly fun. And, you know, I'm enjoying the hell out of all this. So, appreciate, appreciate the, the conversations as always. It's pretty great, you know, and with what you guys do and you're in consumer... Most of us can't ski on more than three or four pair of skis a year, mm-hmm. but the fact that I drink cu- multiple cups of coffee every day of my life, yep. like you, coffee's probably, it's in the top three or four <laughs> important things in my life. Um, I get to try literally dozens of coffees every year, yeah. you know, probably more than that, several dozen for sure. Um and it's great. I go to bed at night when we get a new coffee in and we roast it and I take it home. You know, I go to bed thinking I get to try that new Ethiopia tomorrow or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And so, yeah, it is weird, but it is really fun. And it's, I, I would guess that a good portion of your listeners, it's in their top 10 mm-hmm. important needed things in their life. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we'll keep talking about it. We will. Hey man, thank you. Thank As you. always, this is fun. Yeah. All right. And uh, see you tomorrow. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll get you over caffeinated. (laughs) Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Sam for the conversation. And we should let you know that we did the next day go do that cupping that Sam was talking about. So I headed over to First Descent. It was really my first cupping experience. And I can say... It was, in fact, eye-opening, and let's just say that it confirmed some of Sam's suspicions and some of his recommendations for me. So, we'll be talking more about that cupping, I'm sure, in our next installment of this Coffee Gear series. We might take a break, so anyway, stay tuned for that. Now, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. J-Bob actually is going to be arriving at my house for the Blister Summit in just a couple days. J-Bob, I am stocked up on plenty First Ascent coffee for you, so we should be well caffeinated this whole time. Can't wait for you to get here. Thank you for producing this episode, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you are enjoying these crafted conversations, then we would really, really appreciate it if you would take just a minute to give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And again, let us know that we're not the only weirdos out there who really, really care about good coffee. We'd appreciate it. Let us know we're not alone in this vast universe. Leave us that rating or review, and we will talk to you real soon.